Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today I'm going to tell Samantha, before I tell Samantha what I'm going to tell her. (laughs) Which you told me nothing. (laughs) Which she doesn't know. I want to, we've got, we've gotten a lot of new listeners too. And I, and we have a lot of like uh, veteran listeners who have been listening for a while. And I just want to I want to kind of excuse myself <laughs> away before I, I start this. Um, starting out strong. <laughs> I'm starting out strong. Um, it, it's funny. Like I have, everybody has intrusive thoughts, right? Yeah. I have intrusive. Everybody does. I didn't realize my, I did, but I do. Yeah. Mine normally come to fruition. Like my intrusive thought that I had like, nine months ago when I said, hey, Samantha, you know what we should do? We should start a podcast. (laughs) Because it can't be that hard, right? Uh, You know, you just record stuff and then, you know, you just upload it to the internet and it's there. The reality is that the amount of work that goes into one episode that gets released to you guys is at least 20 hours per person. And because I was thinking about it today, I was like, you know, typically uh, an episode will do about 10 hours of research, writing up notes, editing notes, and things like that. Me putting in stupid editorials into my notes <laughs> so that I can read them later it's um, while I'm recording. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then there's the recording session, which you guys get to hear. Um, but what you don't hear is the 45 minutes of me going, uh, uh, <laughs> you're welcome, uh, by the way, <laughs> you're welcome. Because then after we record, I then spend the same amount of time that it took to record it. Plus at least an hour to edit it. And then there's putting in notes. There's doing our social media post. So with all of that said, you're welcome, by the way, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't realize it until you I actually just had this conversation with Paul about you you really don't realize how much work goes into it until you do it yourself. So Exactly. And I have a full time job. Uh and I have hobbies and I've had my therapist up my ass. And if she's listening to this because I recently <laughs> found out that she has been listening to some of my podcasts. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm fine. <laughs> she's ready to me to told take- her enough. <laughs> told her enough. Uh she recently told me that I need to do more self-care, and so I've been trying to do more self-care, but I've had a very busy work week, a couple of weeks, so I haven't been able to put in the amount of time that I wanted to into the case that I wanted to cover today. So I was finished, I finished that work about an hour ago, and I was like, I do not have time to finish my notes. I still need to shower. I haven't eaten today. Like... I got to do this. So with that being said, today I'm telling Samantha two different cases and it'll be the case of the Durham family murder and the Fleming murder. About freaking time. (laughs) Holy cow. (laughs) Finally. Good grief. (laughs) No wonder you did initials in the recording. I know, I know. You're such a brat. 
I know I'm, I'm such a brat. Uh, if so, dear listeners, you don't know this. Um, <laughs> many moons ago, when we recorded the, which is a wildly is popular true? episode, uh, the the uh, Maple Hill Cemetery episode, it wildly popular. Don't know how it has terrible audio quality. Oh my gosh, it was so bad. I can barely listen to it. It was the one and only time we recorded in person. But what you didn't know is that we recorded three episodes when we were in person. And one of them was the Durham family murders. And out of and the, the three murders. episodes we recorded, we only <laughs> released one. We only released one. <laughs> the other two, we are now, we've already re-recorded one. And mm-hmm. now we're finally doing the last one. Yes. Finally. So I've. I figured as like an early Christmas gift, I would give you this because you know Thank what you. comes after this. Yes. We're not going to bring it up yet. But, uh, dear listeners, make sure you listen until the very end because there is a bit of a surprise at the end. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I've only been waiting I'm on this for like uh, five months, six months. Mm-hmm. So I felt like it was, I already had the notes typed up for it. I already had everything ready for it. It was time to redo it, and it gave me a great opportunity and a great excuse to go ahead and do it. And it's been long enough. I've probably forgotten most of my responses, although it could be interesting going back to the original if you could stand to listen to it again and see if my responses are the same. But I don't remember all of it, so good time that's that is the one thing that i will say when we're doing our cases and so we're constantly having to research new cases and and reading up other things it is kind of easy to forget what we've either covered before or what we've listened to the other one go over so i remember bits and pieces about it but i have a feeling i'm gonna have the same like exclamations that i did before yeah i think i think so so if you remember originally our drink for this episode was an old fashioned. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't know how to make an old fashioned, I have got it pulled up. Uh, I am not drinking an old fashioned because I'm coming down with a cold or something. So, you're welcome for having to hear me on a case today with Thanks, that. Counsel. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm drinking the, I actually made a drink and it's the hot chocolate drink. From last week. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I wanted to try. I wanted a warm drink. It's probably cold now because we've been in here a while. Um, So to make an old fashioned, you're going to get one teaspoon of sugar, three dashes of bitters, uh, one teaspoon of water and two ounces of bourbon and an orange peel to twist for the top. You're going to add... Sugar bitters into a mixing glass, then add water and stir until the sugar is nearly dissolved. Fill the mixing glass with ice, add the bourbon, and stir until well chilled. Strain into a rocks glass over a large ice cube. Express the oil of an orange twist over the glass and drop the gla- drop that into the glass as a garnish. I do like an old-fashioned, but I wasn't in the mood for an old-fashioned today. So Fair enough. If you're listening to this and it is afternoon, it is an acceptable hour to drink. It's five uh, o'clock somewhere, they say. Five o'clock somewhere. Make yourself an old fashioned if you're in the mood. Otherwise, make that um, hot chocolate one. For sure. 
Cheers. Cheers. Man, that's good. I'm trying to get together my my warm drinks because like it's it's really been getting cold here and and by cold I don't mean Alabama cold where it's 40 degrees. Today was a, a was warmer than it's been. It's been struggling to get in the 50s um in the last week. So like trying yeah, to get my same here. I'm hoping it stays that way honestly because even though I I don't like the cold, I like it being cold outside because then I can cozy up on the inside of the house and drink my have an excuse to drink my my warm drinks like hot toddies and coffee with you know a little bit of special creamer in it we are two very different people (laughs) (laughs) that's fair i think we've established Uh, that i think we have established that um (laughs) no i'm i'm actually making um hot apple cider for Mm. since my husband and i are not going to be able to travel because we're both sick boo Normally, I go to Alabama for Thanksgiving and stay with Samantha, but we can't risk getting everybody sick with whatever we have. It's not COVID, or the at-home tests have told us it's not COVID. So, you know, this is a public service announcement. If you're sick, if you have the sniffles, don't go to your family gathering. Uh, You don't want to get all of them sick. There's a lot of nasty things going around right now. Now, are you ready to rehear yes. this? <laughs> yes, please. Okay. Well, we'll start with the uh, Durham family. Um, just to give you kind of an overview of that family, you've got Virginia, who is the 44-year-old mother. You have Bryce, which is the 51-year-old father. Bobby Durham, which is the 18-year-old son. And those three live in a home together. You then have Jenny Sue Hall, who is the 19-year-old daughter of Virginia and Bryce. And she is married and lives with her husband four miles away from the Durham family home with her husband, her husband, Troy Hall. Um, You really like the cases that have got a lot of characters that you got to (laughs) remember. I know. I, I don't know why I do this to myself because like, as we all know, as we're all aware now, <laughs> I have problems focusing. <laughs> Maybe. Just, 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 a, just a little. Um, and uh, this doesn't help it. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't help it. I don't know why I do this. But uh, yeah, I wanted to give that overview. But uh, the Durham family moved to Mount Airy, North Carolina from Mount Airy, North Carolina, to Boone in November of 1969 after they purchased a Buick dealership in town. People around town said that the family was friendly but kept it themselves, which, I mean, sounds like me. me. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, nice to meet you. Get off my lawn. On the afternoon of Thursday, February 3rd, 1972, a snowstorm had just begun to move into Boone. And this was, like, a really bad snowstorm. Like, it was, they knew it was going to be bad, and it was bad. So, Bryce Durham had a rotary meeting, Bryce is the father, that evening at the Appalachian Ski Mountain in Blowing Rock. During this meeting, there was a demonstration done by the Green Berets. After the meeting, one of the (laughs) rotary... 
I think I skipped. I think I messed up over this one the last time we recorded it. The Rotarians. I didn't realize there was like a plural of that. After the meeting, one of the Rotarians drove behind Bryce Durham, following him to the Buick dealership dealership on East King Street. He estimated Bryce arrived around 8.30 p.m. Virginia Durham, his wife, I'm going to apologize. My husband's putting up a baby gate in front of our front door right now because the dogs have been trying to sneak out when we open <laughs> it for guests. So um, you're going to hear some drilling in the background. Sorry about it. Uh, Virginia Durham was working late at the dealership, according to the journal... According to journal, a Journal Now article, authorities believe that the parents told their son, Bobby Joe, a student at App State, to meet them there and ride home with them due to the weather. A four-wheel drive vehicle called a Jimmy had just arrived at the dealership that day, and Bryce Durham told an employee to gas it up. He would borrow it to get his family home, including... Why did I write that? He he borrowed it to get his family home, which was up a steep dead-end road off of NC-105 bypass. So in the snow, going up a hill, you want like a... Listen, this reminds me of when I first moved in with my husband about 10 years ago. I'm from Alabama. And um, he, at the time, lived in Virginia. So I moved to Virginia. I went from... Alabama to Virginia in February. You left me. I left you. I'm sorry. That's mm-hmm. fine. And um, we don't see a lot of snow in Alabama. And I didn't have a car. When or we do see or... snow, we don't go out in it. No, we don't. We don't drive. Uh, we stay home. A week into staying with or moving in with him, actually two days into moving in with him, he left for Germany for two weeks. And then a week into that, uh, it snowed, and it snowed real heavy. And um, we lived at the bottom of a hill in a cul-de-sac. We were at the bottom of the cul-de-sac, and I could not make it up the hill. And I just had to call into work like, uh, sorry about it, figure it out. (laughs) What else are you going to (laughs) say? Yeah. They were like, you can just drive up the hill. I was like, no, "No, you don't understand. Mm -hmm. I cannot drive up this hill. No. Can't do it. I mean, and and to some extent, you can't really drive in ice and snow at all, no. regardless of your capabilities. Um, and I, I probably mentioned this the first time you went through, but uh, when I was growing up, we lived in Tennessee, so we actually lived um, in Middlesboro, which is somewhat close to the mountain area. And where we lived, you could see down to one of the main roads to get to our house and it had like a dip in the road so you would go downhill pretty steep and then you would go uphill pretty steep well whenever it would snow and ice over it was interesting to watch but I think this might have been where the when the blizzard came through that everybody knows about where it was a lot worse than anybody anticipated people were shut in yeah no 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 I'm talking about the blizzard it was like 93 yeah i think that's right mm-hmm. um so in tennessee it was it was real it was over my head i think so it was probably several feet high in tennessee where we lived 
but we couldn't go anywhere. We were literally snowed in. So we would watch out the window and there would be people trying, (sighs) trying to get through this pass, which is, is basically like a U. And so we would just, we, that was our entertainment for hours because people would try to, and I was a kid, I didn't even understand the mechanics of driving, but I, even I knew why that was kind of dumb. They would get down the hill fine, but they would be slowing down as they were going down the hill. And then they would, they wouldn't even make it halfway up the hill. They just slide back back down and they'd be stuck and then they'd slide out and then you'd see them kind of come out and go like, well, what do I do now? I don't know. Try to get back in the car, try to go and they get maybe half as far up as they did the last time. And finally some, they just give up and they just take out, they just walk out and go walking to wherever they needed to go. And there were these houses that were right there. So I think they were just prepared. Like, yeah, you just leave your car. It's fine. <laughs> we'll call your family. They'll come get you or something. <laughs> our favorite thing to do when we lived in Raleigh uh, was, uh, you remember our house in Raleigh, mm-hmm. the road you turned on right before you turned onto our street, it was straight up. Yeah. When it snowed, we'd take a case of beer down to the end of the neighborhood. <laughs> And wait, like, because it was cold enough, you just leave your beer out there. We'd watch them try to get up this hill, and then they, you know, inevitably like stall out. So we'd walk out, and we'd help push their car right into our neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and it happened like constantly because it was a main road too. So people were just like, "Oh, this is a main road. They're gonna salt it." But that road you immediately turn onto, not salted. No, nope. not even a little bit. So figure yeah. it out. So, that's entertainment, but I, I mean, really I wouldn't, is. I've learned enough, um, over my brief period of time driving in anything like that. I, I just don't try to drive in it at all. Mm-mm. I just stay at home. Yeah. Why would, why would I drive in it? I'm going to stock up on my beer. I'm going to stock mm-hmm. up on my wine. And I'm going to stay at home. Yeah. That's it. Y'all have fun. You, feel free to entertain me in your attempts to drive <laughs> outside of that. No, I'm good. Yeah, please. So, but kudos to them for trying. Yeah. So they got a, um, they got this new vehicle called a Jimmy and they made it home. Um, several neighbors saw the vehicle go up the hill. One noted it was about 9 PM because the nine o'clock movie was coming on. Oh, I remember you making that comment. <laughs> I was like, what is the that? The nine o'clock movie. Anything. Like, Okay. Uh, apparently, there were movies that came on specifically at certain times back in the day. It wasn't all streaming. Uh, if there are any children this listening to this, I, I think our demographic is much, much older. <laughs> I think they God. remember it. <laughs> yeah, they probably do remember it. So, four miles away, Troy Hall arrived back at his home about 10 p.m. The Winter Olympics were on uh, the television, and Troy and Jenny, Jenny is the daughter, Troy is her husband, had begun watching it. After about 10 or 15 minutes, the television quit working. Uh, They put a record on the stereo and were listening to music when the phone rang. They put a record on. For anyone who might be under the age of... goodness for backups. 20. (laughs) uh, A record. No, I'm not going to go into that. Uh... What's funny to me is like they were like, you know what, we're we're gonna we're gonna watch the Olympics, and then when that goes out, they listen to a record. Like instead of reading a book or like playing a board, or, like entertainment was a record. I have to do like fifteen things at once to be entertained. 
that's, that's today. That's the, that's the difference between today and back then. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, so Troy answered. Well, somebody could have been reading a book while listening to the record. That would have been two things. That's Highly true. possible. You never know. Well, they could have been dancing or something like that. You don't know. But people in private homes. Um, Troy answered, Virginia, is that you? He said. Once off the phone, he told his wife that her mother had said that three men were beating Bryce and Bobby Joe Durham in a back room. The call was abruptly cut off, and when he tried to call back, he got only a busy, a busy signal. For younger generations, a busy signal. <laughs> we're having to explain a lot. <laughs> no. I actually had to explain this to a girl I work with. So she had called a client. And got a busy signal and had no idea what it was and basically put it on speaker and was like, what is this? I keep getting this sound. I'm like, no, honey. Are you kidding me? You've never called a house line and they were on the phone without call waiting. It it means like whenever you're on a phone call on your cell phone and another call comes through, it pops up on your screen. When we were growing up and back before that, um, before we were even growing up, really. I mean, you had yeah. people waiting when we were kids. Yeah, true. if you paid for it, which my family did. We not. didn't. We were poor. No, we didn't. Even. Um, <laughs> we didn't. Even, we didn't even have caller ID. <laughs> Just real quick with that, we were poor. <laughs> I hope my dad doesn't listen. To this. He is. <laughs> uh, the, yeah. So if you got a call while you were already on the phone, there was this like, um, the person calling would get like a number, like sound. Like, you wouldn't know somebody was trying to call you. No. Because there was no call waiting. So It was just a special tone that would tell you that the person was on the other line. So try back later. Yeah, pretty much. Um, We're blessed today with uh, trying to figure out if we're going to hang up on the current person (laughs) we're talking to and answer. You know what? I can never get it right. I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, <laughs> is it a blessing or is it a curse? Who knows? I think it's a curse. I don't want to talk to anyone anyway. <laughs> Troy and Jenny decided to drive over to her parents' home, but their car wouldn't start. So they enlisted the help of a neighbor, Cecil Small, to drive them over. Jenny waited in the car while her husband and Cecil walked up the hill and went inside the Durham split-level home. The car was unable to make the trip up the hill to their home because, again, they live on a steep hill and it has, you know, blizzard stuff. Um, That's the uh, technical meteorologist. That's what they, that's how they categorize. I'm going to take a sip of this. Um, (laughs) Blizzard stuff. I'm killing it. Uh, The lights were on inside. The home had been ransacked. The phone was ripped from the wall. When the men went to look for the sound of running water, they found all three. And this is pretty horrific. They, so just uh, forewarning. They found all three victims in the bathroom. They told investigators at the time. They told investigators at the time that's where they found them. Autopsy results would show Virginia Durham died of strangulation while her husband and son had been strangled and drowned. 
Bryce Durham had a cord tied loosely around his neck. I won't... I want to say the way that they were found, all three of them were over the bathtub with their heads I remember this, under this part. The water. I saw a picture of it and it was the uh, don't look for a picture of it. That's all I'm going to say. It's so upsetting. Like just so incredibly upsetting. Oh. Well, you know I'm not going to look. Yeah. So, I know. <laughs> I just want to warn anyone who's listening. Um that all three of them were in the same position hanging over a bathtub with their heads underwater that was still running. So after the discovery of the bodies, um, Troy and Cecil went to a neighbor's apartment to contact the BPD. John Tester, dispatcher on duty, said the call came in around 10.50 p.m. and that the caller seemed to be Mighty shook up. You don't say. <laughs> That's about what, that was what I was about to say. <laughs> Tester said he almost couldn't decipher Troy's frantic plea for help, according to published accounts. I I would love to get you know those um like websites where people do like the um nine one one. Um, 911 recording uh, analysis. No. Have you ever seen those? There's mm-hmm. there's like actual people who listen to 911 calls and they do like analysis on like what people are saying and how they're saying it. I would love something like that for this. Hmm. Just. I know I'm, the- I'm analyzing the crap out of calls whenever I hear like when other podcasts have the audio. Oh, I'm, I'm analyzing the crap out of that the whole time. I'm listening to it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Same. Sounds theatrical. So shortly after 11 p.m., officers from multiple agencies dropped what they were doing and converged on the small residence on the blistering cold night. State investigators later remarked the number of officers present could have altered the crime scene. I would say they probably did. So, many officers in one small area. So, let's talk about what they found in the home. A TV was still on when investigators arrived on the scene, and three glasses of soft drink, along with some food, were discovered nearby. There was a partially eaten baked chicken in the kitchen. Authorities said, It was like the family was enjoying a snack and a primetime movie or show when they were surprised. I don't snack on chicken, but sure. I don't typically snack on chicken. Uh, If I'm going to snack on a meat, it's going to be like ham or like... um, Why was I about to say provolone? That's a cheese. (laughs) Uh, All I could think about were those deer meat sticks. (laughs) Yeah, I know. God, don't freak that out. (laughs) My God. (laughs) Oh, God. We're not getting into that. <laughs> We've already ranted enough. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm just saying, like, it looks like they were in for a snack. Uh, well, I mean, it was a different time, but it we're not talking colonial times, so. 
Like, Listen, have you eaten chicken? If are, anyone could see, this? like, if I died in the middle of my snack, whatever I was snacking on, half the people would be like, what? <laughs> and I want to say, like, 90% of the time, it's a can of SpaghettiOs. Uh, I'm an adult. Are you, though? Am I? I don't know. Sometimes. Anyway, the home seemed to be ransacked as well. Officers were told that a green and white four-wheeled GMC Jimmy was seen leaving the residence shortly after 10.30 p.m. Two hours later, an NC Highway Patrol officer found the vehicle matching the description abandoned but still running with the windshield wipers still in use a short distance away from Poplar Grove Road. This was the vehicle Bryce used the night to get his family home in the storm. Silverware was found inside the vehicle in a pillowcase, but there was a bank deposit bag and other valuable items left behind at the family's home. This caused investigators to wonder if the motive was really a robbery or not. Autopsy results later showed Virginia Durham died of strangulation while her husband and son had been strangled and drowned. Bryce Durham had a cord tied loosely around his neck. Over the years, there were pretty wild rumors surrounding the murder. The weight... The, dyslexia. The late Wade Carroll who was sheriff of Watauga County and one of the first officers on the scene, told Winston-Salem Journal in, 1982, in a 1982 interview near the 10th anniversary of the crime that he did not believe the phone call to Troy Hall ever happened. He said, and I quote, In my opinion, Mrs. Durham never made the phone call. He said, When some people come into your house to kill you, they are not going to let you make a phone call so he's saying he's saying she didn't like get away and call troy okay based on what just the the supposition that they wouldn't let her do that Mm-hmm. what if she got away which is That's entirely possible and it happens a lot i mean we're not again we're not talking like my parents could remember the whole party line thing where you'd have to do the thing with the phone and and do that whole we're not talking about that right you said it was 1969 so late 60s it was uh it was 1972 okay so i mean the the phones weren't as good obviously as they were when it was our time when we were kids but i there's an emergency line. There's there's the neighbors. So, I mean, I, I feel like she could quickly make that call, make a very brief call, like he said, mm-hmm. and it go dead. Yeah. There's yeah, no time I am- for that. I mean, you can take off running and think immediately, this is what I need to do. I'm going to call this person because they're real close. I could see that happening. That's not I- outside the realm of possibilities. Whitman said that uh, Whitman, the retired SBI agent, said he believes the phone call did happen. This is a different agent. The description of the call and what she and her husband were doing that evening comes from what Jenny Hall, the daughter, told him. She has 
cooperated with him in the investigation over the years, and he once took her to someone who put her under hypnosis and alluded to the phone call, he said. So my thing is, there's, when I've heard, I've actually heard this case before from another podcast, and I can't remember which podcast it is. It's been years. And I think they leaned heavily on Troy as a suspect. But to me, Troy was in study hall that night up until he got home. And then he got home and he said that phone call came in. There are so many other like pieces to this, like the, the, uh, Jimmy going missing Mm -hmm. that wouldn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense that he would be involved. And he was spotted in the library that night. So I just don't, I don't, I don't get that. And I don't understand why the late Wade Carroll leaned so heavily on it. I mean, okay. So Troy was in the house with his wife when Mm -hmm. the phone call came, correct? Correct. And so she heard the phone ring, correct? She heard him answer. Virginia, is that you? So what? He had somebody else, an accomplice, call him to provide an alibi of some kind? Like that's... I feel like I don't know. I think that that's sounds, what he was alluding to. That that sounds over. It sounds like it's overcomplicating. Yeah, I just because in the yeah. amount of time it took him to get that phone call, be suspicious, call back, not get an answer, then go, then have issues, then have to walk up, then find like he had to get a neighbor to go with him. That's a he, lot of time. He, yeah, pass in between those things that it's entirely possible that it happened exactly as it played out based on how you described it yeah uh i I, I don't know i i I wouldn't i wouldn't think him automatically with the information given yeah same i I hope you guys are enjoying hearing my dog lose her crap in the other room i didn't know know if it was a drill or if it was seven (laughs) no it's it's seven uh yeah So there was some speculation that Bryce had uncovered some sketchy dealings at another car dealership and that the murders were a professional hit to do with this. Those accusations don't really hold water, though. Like, he he opened his own car dealership. What exactly did he uncover? I don't know. There's no evidence of it. There's competition, maybe? Maybe I had to put it in there because it. Yeah. I'm just giving you all the details. Fair enough. Rufus Edmonston, who was once a lawyer on the staff of Senator Sam Irvin, who would soon become famous for the Watergate hearings, later became involved with the investigation after he was elected as North Carolina's Attorney General in 1974. He became invested in the case and made it a priority for the SBI. He even had a murder squad look into it. Rufus later stated, quote, I still maintain this was a professional hit job. You don't go out on a snowy night like that in Boone 
if it was someone driving down 105 bypass who said, let's go rob that place. (laughs) Which, I mean, he's not wrong. If you're in a blizzard, and especially in Boone, where it's mountainous and treacherous, you're not going to... But the other... The other part to that, too, is that they were up on the top of the hill. Would you rather rob a place that is kind of away from everything else, or would you rather rob a place that was in a neighborhood and easier to get to that's surrounded by other houses? Well, I think about it. Any tracks that you would leave in the snow would be covered up because you got a storm going through right then. So, like, a lot of evidence would be hidden, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like a lot of times we think about things, well, that would make it really difficult to do. Well, yeah, but it also in and of itself, because it would be difficult to do sometimes provides an alibi or washes away the evidence of what we were doing, what the plan was. So I can kind of see it either way. Yeah. Same. All right. So we had to take a a quick pause because my dog was losing. It it sounded like she was being murdered outside, (laughs) but, uh, she wasn't. She's um, Shocking. She's very dramatic. I don't know where she gets it from. <laughs> no idea. So, yeah, that is the um, the Durham family murders. So now I'm going to tell you about the Fleming murders. And you're going to be like, why am I telling you about two different murders? But I swear, I swear there's a point behind it. So bear okay. with me. Hang on. Let me let me get prepared. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, Reed Fleming and Lewis Fleming. Those are the people we're talking about. Before Mister Fleming closed his used car business in December twenty on December twenty second, nineteen seventy three. You don't say it's another car business. Ah, you don't say. Good sir. Bobby Jean Gaddis went to the car lot and made inquiries about a pickup truck. After dark on the same day, Mr. Fleming responded to a knock at the door of his home. There were three men there. One being Bobby Jean Gaddis. Uh, Bobby told Mr. Reed Fleming that he wished to purchase the pickup truck that Jean had looked at earlier. When Mr. Fleming told them to return in the daylight hours, they forced their way into his house and proceeded to tie both him and his wife up. While Bobby Yaddis stood guard, the other two, Billy Burt and Charles Reed, drove the Fleming's car and their own down a side road away from the Fleming's home and returned in the Fleming's vehicle. They then proceeded to torture Mr. and Mrs. Fleming. On Sunday morning, December 23rd, 1973, when his father failed to attend church services, Hugh Fleming drove to his parents' home to investigate. Don't ever do this. Don't. Mm-mm. Don't. Don't. I mean, I've done that before and just found out that they, you know, broke their phone or they were in the shower, but... Don't do this. I wouldn't do it today. Call in for a welfare check. Um, arriving at their residence, Hugh recognized that something was wrong. 
when he found that the back door was unlocked and the interior of his parents' home had been ransacked. Hugh found his 73-year-old mother lying face down on her bed with a coat hanger twisted around her neck. He reported to law enforcement officials, and they found his 75-year-old father at the foot of his wife's bed. The elder Fleming had a coat hanger and the cords to an electric drill and an electric clock wrapped around his neck. Yeesh. This all sounding familiar. Little. The hands and feet of both victims had been bound by bed sheets. They were both later determined to have died by strangulation. Dr. Howard had concluded that the deaths of the two victims were not instantaneous, but resulted from prolonged episodes of abuse. He expressed the opinion that the time of the death was about 10 to 11 p.m. on December 22nd. Police officers testified that the Fleming's home had been completely ransacked and the lock on the smokehouse door had been broken and that fruit jars were found inside and that the Fleming's Ford automobile was found about two miles from their home. So why did this happen? What was, what was the point behind it? Good question. I'm assuming you have an answer. I have a bit of one. I mean, why does anybody murder anyone? So, there's no reason behind Fair. it. Carswell Tapley was employed by George Leisher on Leisher's Farm in Washington County, Georgia. Leisher lived in Marietta and operated a used car lot. He made occasional visit, visits to he made occasional visits to his farm. In late 1973, Leisher informed Tapley that if Tapley knew anyone who had money, Leisher knew some men who would look into it. "Quote unquote, yeah, look into it and pay twenty percent for." Guy. I know. Listen, I know a guy. If it's not about a food. I don't know a guy. <laughs> Let me just or beer. Just throw, or beer. I'm just throwing that out there. And paid twenty percent for help in setting up a job. Tapley informed Leisure that a Mr. Fleming kept a kept from fifty thousand to sixty thousand dollars in his home. Which I don't know. Listen, I don't have twenty dollars in this house. Nope. Don't keep cash in your home. Don't tell people you have cash in your home. Don't. 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 Just do don't. And the amount of space that you have to have, well, that's actually not that much. Working in the bank, you Man, really you get disillusioned of that so bad. Yeah. I had a conversation with Paul about that. Like, like a million pull- dollars does not take as, up as much space as you think it does. No. When they pull out those, like, those, like, briefcases and movies where it's, like, Stacks of $100 bills. And I was like, that's way more than a million (laughs) dollars. And counsel's always like, how do you know that? And I was like, I worked at a bank for years. I saw a million (laughs) dollars once or twice. I know what it looks like. like A few times in my life. That's way more. Um, Anyway. How many shirts you got mixed in there? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, You probably have that buffered by $1 bills, but okay. (laughs) Uh, Leisure saw Billy Wayne Davis... 
also in the used car business and formerly a business partner of Leisure's. It informed him that Tapley had information for him and gave Davis Tapley's phone number and a means of identification, the code word hogs. For some reason, I wanted to say hot dogs, so I just really emphasize hot hogs. According to Davis's testimony, I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep going. According to Davis's testimony, defendant Billy Sunday Bert had previously told Davis that he would be well paid for such information, and Davis passed the information to the defendant and instructed him how to contact Tapley. When Leisha returned to the farm, he told Tapley that he had gotten in touch with the boys. Get a girlfriend, dude. Who would contact Tapley shortly. Later, a person who identified himself as Jim Gordon. Is that... Is that... Is that... Is Jim Gordon from Batman? Are you talking about Commissioner Gordon? Yeah. Actually, yeah, I think his name is Jim. Oh my god, do we have a crossover? <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe they stole the name from the comic books. Uh probably. Um then. Jim Gordon called Tapley and stated he was calling for Leisher's car lot from Leisher's car lot. The caller said he would be by for Tapley at 9 o'clock that evening to go get the hogs. Upon his arrival, Tapley showed him the Fleming's residence in Wren, in Wren's. Gordon asked Tapley what he knew about Jerry Heyman and where he lived. I'm not going to go over the full like play-by-play on what happened next, but... I'll tell you the gross part I pulled out of the transcript and the trial. With Mirth, they reported to Davis that Mr. Flemings was uh, hard of hearing, but... Sorry, Mrs. Flemings was hard of hearing, but that her hearing improved considerably when a coat hanger was tightened about her throat. Gaddis and Bert also told Davis that they had obtained $4,000 from the Flemings. The money had been buried in fruit jars in the Flemings' smokehouse. The men oh, were arrested. okay, that's where the fruit jars came in. Okay. Uh-huh. The men were arrested and convicted of the murders of the Flemings. In 2019, Bert's son, Shane Burt, went to the White County Sheriff's Office in Georgia to help some re- help with some research for a book about crimes in Georgia. Shane Burt had been close with his father and often visited him in prison. The Watauga County Sheriff's Office said, It was during one of those visits that Burt reportedly told his son about killing three people in the North Carolina mountains during a heavy snowstorm, remembering that they almost got called. The White County Sheriff's Office immediately contacted authorities in Watauga County after Shane Burt relayed the story. Watauga County Sheriff Lynn Hagman, Hageman said his office realized the tip could be very important to the Durham case. We immediately began, inve- began to investigate the new leads and conducted in-person interviews with Billy Wayne Davis, 
September 2019, October 2020, and August 2021. So these are newer developments. Hageman said, It was these interviews that ultimately helped us determine who was responsible through the corroboration of evidence. We are confident that we now know who committed these crimes. According to the sheriff's office, David said he and three other men were hired for a hit in North in the North Carolina mountains. Just as Bert had said, Davis told investigators a bad snowstorm hit the night of the murders and they were almost called. He said he acted as the getaway driver while Bert, Gaddis, and Reed killed the Durham family. Mr. Davis is 81. I think he might be 82 now. Uh, the only suspect in the Durham killings who is still alive. He is already serving a life sentence in Georgia prison for another murder, according to Sheriff Hagman. So, what's so special about... Whew. I don't know, take a deep breath. What's so special about Mr. Davis? I don't know if... I don't know if anyone else would know this, um, who might be listening to this. The name might sound very familiar, and that is because he is a member of the Dixie Mafia. What? (laughs) I know, you already knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Which leads me into what I am going to gift Samantha with. Before Christmas, I will be telling the story of the Dixie Mafia. Finally! <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the um, Durham family murders and the Fleming murders. That was as much of a roller coaster as it was the first time, honestly. I know. I condensed a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, there was some wow. stuff left out um, that I remember now. Whew. That's a lot. I mean, you know, and honestly, it's cases like these. It's like, it's very telling of the way things were done back then. Like, they got away with so much more and being so much more sloppy because they just didn't have the technology that we do now. They would have never gotten away with it. Well, and it's also like, the amount in the in the Durham family murders, the amount of police officers that showed up to the scene didn't have gloves on, didn't have any like protection against like evidence, trampled all over the place. I mean, granted, they, some of that still happens. I mean, yeah, definitely. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah, less, less, less so now, <laughs> hopefully. But they just didn't know. They just didn't know. Yeah, and then you have like. It's crazy that you have an update that recent. Mm. Like within the last, I guess, year, two years. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. 70s all the way up to now. Yep. So his uh, his son, uh, Mr. Davis's son, what was it? Shane. Yeah, Shane. Sorry, not Mr. Davis. Uh, I'm getting all of this wrong. Anyways, Shane has actually written a book on his father that also includes 
um, uh, portions of the Dixie Mafia story. So oh, okay, that's a an interesting little thing. He seems to be close with his father, which seems odd to me. I mean, I guess you don't really know how things like that are going to happen. Whatever. So well, anyway. and well, I guess. I've not been in that situation, so I wouldn't know how to handle it. So it just depends Yet. on the person, I guess. Yet. You haven't I, been in that situation. I, I ignored that comment earlier. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what I'm going to do. I'm a wild card. This is this is fair. I, I would like to think that's not one of them. But okay, we'll keep going. Anyway, good job, you. <laughs> good job, me. Good job, that was, you. It was good. It was, it was as good, if not, oh, I don't know, better. Than the first time. Yeah, um, we weren't worried about, like, that goes. Yeah, well, yeah, we kind of sort of have some of this stuff figured out now. Um, a little bit more than we did then. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. Just a little what? bit. Smidgen. Um, you still get my dogs in the background on a regular occasion. I think that's just going to be a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Animals are going to make noise. You don't know it, but my old man, baby boy... Um, he's my real old man cat is back here and he's just snoozing on the bed. I figured he was oh. safe. I'm keeping him away from the other cats. So he's happy and sleeping. So oh, no noise. I didn't see him. Let me see him. Where is he? He's on the bed. Good boy. I'm out. He gets grumpy. <sighs> I miss him. So yeah, those are, those are those things. And, uh, you're going to have another thing for me. That is going to be very exciting in the next four weeks. Yeah, within the next four weeks. Um, so that's I've been, that only. Me. I was seriously. I've been waiting on it for like oh, five, six months. So I know. Time. And these two cases are just so intriguing. And the, it's crazy uh, to me when you have these cases that are basically unsolved because the police just botch the job. Like, mm-hmm. it's unsolved because we don't have the evidence necessary to be able to definitively tie it to a person. Well, it's funny basically. to me. It's like I had originally started, like, researching the Dixie Mafia. And um, that was going to be my, like, original first, like, two-parter or something like that. Um, it's, but my instead, times have changed. I decided to go for a three-parter <laughs> something else. Um, and when I was researching it, I came across these two murders that kind of got linked back in the past couple of years to the Dixie Mafia. And I was like, well, before I cover the Dixie Mafia. Yeah, so I'm this like, is how hey. she did. She was like, so I'm going to do the Dixie Mafia, but been doing all this research and now it's going to be two parts and it's, now it's going to be three parts and well now i have an update now i have to do something before i start the three-parter and i'm like okay so then we record it and then she's like you know that recording was so bad i don't know if i'm going to go back to it i'm like oh no 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 you don't get to throw that away and tease me for months and then just not go back to it that's not mm-mm. I can no. do as I please. Thank you very much. <laughs> Turnabout's and fair I play. Did. Be careful about that. That's <laughs> no, right. Uh, that was the first episode we recorded that night too, so it was real True. bad. Yeah, that one was real bad. Still, still figuring out stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, um, thanks for listening. Uh, you guys are amazing. Uh, I think. 
Are they amazing? For yeah, sure. Amazing. Obviously. Yeah. If they're listening. <laughs> Duh. <Yeah. laughs> Hi, new people. Um, we see you, or I see you on like my little metric thing. Uh, where can uh, everyone find us on social media, Instagram and Facebook? At Rupert Hills Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And where do they email us? At ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. Um, you can email us and tell me how fantastic I am for giving Samantha this great Christmas gift. Christmas came early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it did. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever listening platform that you are listening on. Uh, until next time. Bye. The Reaper will come for us all.